3: Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR, no one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? you can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
1: From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio.
3: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel.
1: They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis Codename Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you... You are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It is one of uh, our favorite times of the week, folks. This is when we get to hear from you, the very best part of this show. Now, it's 2022. Congratulations, as we said earlier this week, to everyone who survived to listen to this this today. Yeah, go team. And uh, we... Matt and Noel and Doc and I spent uh, spent a lot of time weeding through correspondence, talking to people on, on, you know, on a telephone, talking to people on email. Thanks to everybody who reached out on social
3: media and. Um, Big shout out to Stephanie, who wished us Merry Christmas on Christmas.
1: Yes, yes. Big shout out. Big, big shout out.
3: Also, huge shout out to Sweet Miller
0: Action on Etsy. Uh, it is a page where you can get all of your metal work home decor needs met. In the blink of an eye, uh, a lovely listener who runs this page um, sent us all some really, really cool doodads uh, for yes. Christmas. Um, I ended up with a lovely nightlight that looks like a, um, a, an acoustic bass, like an upright bass. Uh you also sent us these little, little gelatinous slappy hands that are fun for the whole family. Uh for, for kids of any age and adults too. Yes, Miller, um, yes. Yes, Miller, yes, exactly. Uh what, what did you guys get?
3: I have a goat uh that I'm very excited about and a base cliff. Now
1: I I have some stuff, and thank you, yes, Miller, yes. Uh I I have some stuff. Uh, from the one and only, the legend, Sweet Miller, action. But he and I are actually in a bit of a tiff. So, uh, yes, Miller, yes. If you're listening, I do insist on. Uh, I do insist on paying you for some stuff. You're too kind. You're too kind. We've got like this is at this point. I think it's safe for us to say. Um, for for us, this is more than a job. This is more than a sh- just a show. Like we have. Um, I, I read a very interesting paper on what's called parasocial relationships. A uh, parasocial relationship is a phrase that describes I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. A parasocial relationship is a phrase that describes the feeling humans experience when you like, you listen to a musician and think, this person gets me. They must know my life. I feel a cloud Atlas moment. I feel like I am related to this person. Uh, this happens also when you read poetry or you read any, any work of art, you see a sculpture, et cetera. And parasocial relationships spiked. The experience of having these spiked during the pandemic. And it's very important for us to establish, to you listening now, that for us it, it isn't quite a parasocial relationship. We've we have actual friends now who listen to this show. We've got like a, <laughs> I I you know, we, we haven't done a lot of the war stories of maybe angry emails we get, but we, even those folks end up being our our friends at the end of the day it's it's nuts we are we are so fortunate and with that we're going to share with you some really bizarre and disturbing things that your fellow listeners have hipped us to because we we don't know about a lot of this unless someone brings it up so it's a, it's a huge part of the show no matt I I suggest I suggest we start with we start with this voicemail because you have been in the trenches, my friend. And we we learn so much amazing stuff from the people who call in our fellow conspiracy realists will drop us a line and say, you know, there's this weird ass pyramid. Out here in the middle of nowhere, what's going on? Uh, I love this. This is how we found out about the mystery of the church's chicken. Someone someone hipped us to a mystery fast food joint. And now there is, what is this, Matt? There's a, I'm looking at your notes here. There's a, quote, big ass decoy near Richmond.
3: Near Richmond, Virginia. Yes, yeah, so that is correct. Uh, before we jump into this message, uh, shout out to Ed who put us on to the book The Moon is a Harsh Mistress that I think maybe we've talked about before in the past. Uh, Robert Heinlein? Heinlein? I can't remember how to say his name. Heinlein, yeah. 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 Uh, Great book. In that, he discusses essentially a gauss gun or a rail gun that launches uh, humans to the moon. Totally forgot about it. Thank you, Ed, for reminding us of that. Housekeeping note.
1: Let's all three of us... Codename doc, if you want to get in as well, let's all, all four of us just continually shout out people in this episode if we can
3: oh yeah i'm just doing it because i have listened to so many and i'm i don't think we're ever going to cover these uh but I'll do two more really fast and we'll get it so thank you ed for putting us back on to that also shout out to brockness monster who learned the lesson you should listen to the full episode before you call in uh because <laughs> hey brock you know what you did you know <laughs> you learned that lesson <laughs> it has to do with paratrooping cats in a recent episode that we did and lastly Quick shout out to Amara, who sent us a message about berries and cream. If you know what berries yes. and cream is. Berries then, and cream, uh, <laughs> berries and
0: cream. I'm, I'm the, the little, little, lad little
4: lad who, who likes loves berries, berries and, cream. and cream. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Okay. My no, kid stop. turned
0: me on to that, man. And she uh, she actually has a haircut right now that sort of resembles the berries and cream lad. And uh, and kids at school sort of make fun of her and call her the berries
1: and cream. She doesn't like it very much. She's, just, she's changing Amazing. her hair up. Uh, uh, peep behind the curtain cause we're, we're kind of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross in this strange enterprise of ours. Um, our Noel, as you know, our, our, our ride or die, the one and only Mr. Matt Frederick, uh, created a fiction anthology show Halloween based called 13 days of Halloween. And in the first season of that, uh, I wrote an episode, uh, about a, uh, an unfortunate situation at a gas station, it's entirely inspired by that berries and cream commercial. So and that's right. First, sending that on our Incredible
3: that's right and you'll have to listen to the whole first season to figure out which episode it was yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. i'm just kidding it's called the attic you can look it up uh, it's oh, really great come on make
1: them uh, <laughs> look, all those stories all those stories are good uh there is my only note on those stories i love the audio fictions 3d it's done with our good friend alex williams it's done with uh, our pal aaron Mankey. um God, we haven't even gotten to the first thing, but uh, yeah, only the only note I would have on 13 days is that I think my pal Noel Brown is an amazing voice actor. He could, he could probably, no, what was it?
3: We berries and you?
0: cream, berries and cream. <laughs> you're hired, I'm the little lad who loves berries and cream. Yeah,
3: yep, yeah, you're definitely hired. Thanks, Season boy. three. Look for it in Halloween. I'm contractually obligated to bring it to you. you it's here we go. you <laughs> fully in the knee slapping
0: sounds. I don't do those. I just do the voice. So.
3: We
1: have to do the. Uh, we'll get a foley guy for that. Uh, we have to. Uh, we we have to. We do should our do show this. Though. Yeah, we should yeah, do this. We here do we show.
3: go. All right. This first message <laughs> comes from Roscoe. I, this is going to be a short one, Roscoe. Uh, you'll see why. But uh, let's listen to what you said.
2: Yeah. Um, my name is Roscoe. Twenty years ago, I moved to Richmond, Virginia, and a short time later heard about something odd, a decoy city that was built about 20 miles east of the city of Richmond. It was intended to be uh, a decoy in case of a nighttime bombing run by an enemy coming in from the Atlantic Ocean, and it was... Not full scale, but it was very large, and it was a a small-scale version of downtown Richmond, complete with lighting. Um, I've never looked into it a whole lot, but I think uh, your talk of interesting structures uh, made me think of this. Thank you.
3: All right. Well, thank you. Roscoe, my goodness, yeah. uh, just the kind of thing that really really butters our bread. Uh, is that a phrase? <laughs> that sounds yeah, it gross. Is, it, it is
0: now. Uh, is it, I think I think it, I think it forces people to to conjure images of us as anthropomorphic slices of bread slathered <laughs> in <and is>. butter, <laughs> oh, uh, which yeah. is uh, pretty sexy. Ben and oh. I both at that moment, um Roscoe looked at each other and did like a. Um, we have an upcoming episode of of our other show, Ridiculous History, uh, that deals with a time when uh, a very clever and forward thinking engineer came up with the idea to build a small model of the city of Paris uh, complete with lights and all to uh, evade um, bombings raids uh, so they would be they would think they were bombing actual Paris but it was just a little farther away and it was like it was not scale model it was like smaller but they would shut off all the real lights right Ben in, in actual Paris and then the bombers would potentially confuse the model for the real deal.
1: Yeah, exactly. And this was during World War I. So no one, uh, had the access to Intel or, you know, satellite visibility that is so common today. Uh, this, oh man, Matt, yes, he nailed it. Butter our bread. This reminds me of that time, um, when we were, we were trying to figure out if, uh, Rob Schraub, and Dan Harmon, who, who are like, they're very close friends, I guess. But and we were trying to figure out if they were mad at each other when we were on Harmon Town. And yes. Dan, Dan said something like uh, we we were being very positive, nerdy people. And we were saying nice things about everybody. And Dan was like, no, no, fine. Grease him up. <laughs> that like the yeah. The
3: bread? Roscoe's uh, greasing us up. So look, I, I got bad I got good news, bad news, and bad news. I'm not sure how we're gonna make this happen. But first, the bad news is, Roscoe, I could find nothing on a mock version of Richmond or any other town in Virginia in that area. I couldn't I couldn't find it. Um and maybe I just haven't searched the correct terms. Maybe I was just, I failed, but what I did find is a decoy airbase that was constructed for real, uh, fairly close to an airport in Richmond in uh, Henrico County. And that's how you say it, by the way, I thought it was Henrico, but it's Henrico County and you can do a little searchy search for this, and you can find an Air and Space magazine article titled, In 1942, the Army Built a Decoy Airfield in Virginia to Fool the Luftwaffe. So very similar to the story you guys are covering. The, the, for the, 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 Luft, the Luftwaffe, if I yeah, may. As a, former,
0: as a former small <laughs> German boy, I must set the record straight. Luftwaffe. <laughs>
3: Yes, the Luftwaffe in Henrico County. (laughs) So um, this one is a little different. Very interesting concept. Uh, The U.S. military went in there. They basically just took over some land that was just forest, and they cleared some of it to make it look exactly like an airfield that was nearby. It was a smaller airfield that was being converted into something for the U.S. Army, and so in order to protect it, they wanted to have this uh, this airfield, well, like you said, with lights, with faux structures, with fake uh, airplanes, with all like shrubs cut in the form of airplanes and all kinds of things. Like that topiaries? From- Yes. Yes. Wow. It's pretty incredible. I would encourage you guys both to look up that air and space. I, I linked it in the doc there. If you want to look at it, you can actually see an image of it from space or from the sky. And you can tell that if you flew over this thing, if it's night and it's very dark in the surrounding areas, but this thing is lit up, it looks like an airfield with targets that you would bomb. It's Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant stuff.
1: What's interesting here, Roscoe, is that this is an historically precedented thing. This works very well. There was, uh, during World War II, I believe, uh, there, were, there was a proliferation of things called starfish sites. Uh, mm-hmm. these, these were built, uh, the, these were supposed to look like burning cities, British burning cities in the night so that German bombers during the Blitz would uh, be distracted and wouldn't actually hit their intended target. The The world is full of facades, you know, and this is another example of one. If anything, Matt, do we know uh, the level of preservation or the level of current use for this decoy site?
3: Uh, it, well, if you go to... This is kind of a weird site. It's the wag, dot net. You can find someone. I don't know that I can even tell you who it's written by. Uh, Jake Smith in 2003 visited the site and took some pictures and wrote up something in here titled Lost City Found. And you can see some images of the site and what it looks like now. It's just. Not really a thing anymore. It's just kind of wilderness with a random fire hydrant every once in a while with some remnants of gutters and fences and like, again, some of the faux buildings. I think there's even a water tower that can be found out in that area. I want to give everybody just a couple other things to search for if you want to. Uh, Bird Airfield, B-Y-R-D Airfield, is the thing that this faux faux airfield was made to look like, and that was very close by. Uh, That's what got turned into the Army Air Base in 1943. I'm getting some of this information from Henrico.us. That's H-E-N-R-I-C-O.us. They've got a small little write-up on it, and you can actually see an image of the historic marker that's on place there. It was titled, or you could look it up, as Elko Tract. E-L-K-O-T-R-A-C-T. So you can also search that to learn more about this. Um, I don't know, Ben. You guys, there's all kinds of information that you can look up once you start down the rabbit hole of this place about other places like you're talking about, Ben and all like other decoy sites. We're talking during the Pacific War, World War II. uh, We're talking about uh, German cities and sites that were made to look, you know, look real, but they were fake. And if a real bombing raid was occurring, you just shut down all the lights in the place that's going to get bombed or would get bombed and you turn them all on in the other place. And here's guys, the U S army actually stationed people at this fake site to just live there on base in these huts. And they had them do things around the fake base. Like they were real, like (laughs) made to look like they're working on the planes that aren't actually there so that if if there is any spy plane or anyone checking out the area, they would say, Oh yeah, the freaking friggin' airbase is right there. Look, you can tell. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I love the idea, you know, in um I guess in, in improv and, and uh, other stage pursuits, they call that object work. Yeah. Which is where you're just sort of pantomiming doing stuff. Yeah. I, I love this idea, man. Uh, this concept It may may seem silly if you are lucky enough to have not been in a situation where you needed this sort of strategy or tactic, but this concept is a tremendously powerful example of information warfare when you think about it. Uh, We are are altering hearts and minds when we are building fake cities. And we still, we did... uh, we did an earlier episode on places where you can't go, uh, but we have never, except for our, um, our one adventure in New York, we have never covered uh, we, we've never covered entirely fake or decoy cities. And they're still around. by the way. Uh, just earlier this week, um, Matt, you had mentioned the problems with real estate collapses. Right. And at the very end of strange news, when we start predicting stuff and, uh, you know, it's no well, it's no secret outside of China that there are vast conurbations that are almost entirely empty by hook or by crook. Decoy cities, decoy places are going to remain a real thing. Roscoe, big question for you.
3: What is a conurbation?
1: That's just,
3: that's the big question. <laughs>
1: Sorry. Yeah. A, uh, a conurbation is, a conurbation is just a fancy word for like a metro area.
3: Okay, cool. Now I know. And you so learn does Roscoe. something
1: new every day. <laughs> I love it. Well, uh, so like there, there are almost entirely, I don't know if you would, I don't know what criteria we would use to decide whether or not these are fake, but there are, you know, there are, A lot of abandoned places in the world, even even now with such a um, large human population. Uh, Roscoe, big question for you: Did you get in? Are you going to go in? Don't
3: do it. If it's anything, what's that company we just talked about with the pyramid that they have? Uh, Steelcase. Steelcase, but then they it got turned into something else. And uh, quick, just to that point, Ben, shouting out. The person that I can't remember your name, but you called in and told us about your experience going on INL property out there in Idaho near the National Laboratories. Uh, I think that's what you said. I might be wrong, but shout out to you because, you know, you called in and you said something. It's just getting muddled in my brain now. Thank you. (laughs) I'm going to listen to it again. All right. Roscoe, thank you so much for calling us and leaving us that message. We will be right back with more messages from you.
0: L-A-S-I-K.
1: Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
3: With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs, on-demand, Tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery
0: store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer.
1: Yes, yeah, job has got a worker for that.
3: With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way.
0: Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own
1: backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert.
0: Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire.
4: Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? time for you to start paying some bills i'm jb smooth and that was a full episode of my new podcast straightforward inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from at&t fiber get what you want without the complicated at&t fiber live like a guggillionaire available wherever you get your podcast limited availability in select areas visit at and slash hypergig for details
1: and we're
0: back with more messages from you that's right you out there whomever you are uh specifically you jasper who wrote in uh with a bit of a heavy story um it's it's very interesting though i think it's worth knowing about uh jasper uh writes with an email titled "Uh, parents are billed for their children's foster care Hi, guys. Today I came across this article from NPR. It links to the article on NPR uh, that was heard on All Things Considered. States send kids to foster care and their parents the bill, often one too big to pay. Uh, I never knew that when a family is able to be reunited, two conflicting federal laws and a number of state laws allow the parents to be billed for the cost of fostering children. A failure or inability to pay the bill which can be tens of thousands of dollars goes onto their credit scores and can result in difficulty securing housing, loss of licenses and permits, garnished wages and losing their children again. Uh, In addition to the bill, in some cases the money owed is subject to interest. You better believe I'm writing to my representatives, but I was hoping you could look into this and mention it on a listener mail episode. It definitely seems like something they don't want you to know about foster care. Take care, Jasper. Um, Uh, This story just came out a couple of days ago. Uh, Actually yesterday uh, today being the 28th when we're recording this. Um, and I certainly was not aware of this either. And, you know, the story highlights a case of a woman named Daisy Holman um, who moved into a trailer that had an extra room to rent uh, after she had separated from her husband. We know that can be a costly and stressful situation, you know, for the man or the woman, or we either partner in a, in a divorce or separation, uh, not to mention the kids. Um, she and her three kids had been moving from place to place, staying with family, uh, um, um, and now they found this place that they could rent a room in and a trailer. And not two weeks after staying there, the address was raided by police who found drugs and drug paraphernalia there. Um, she was not the target. She was at work. She had no drugs found on her and she was not charged. But Child Protective Services in the county where this took place, Wright County, Minnesota, placed her kids Uh, 15 uh, and 10, two daughters and a son age nine into foster care, pulled them away from, from their mom, uh, during, it was already a horrible time. (laughs) I mean, I I can't imagine. That just seems utterly cruel and inhuman because the officials determined that she had left her children in an unsafe place. Maybe there's some truth to that, but it just seems very, very, very extreme. Uh, so they were in foster care for 20 months. Uh, And when they returned, she got a bill for a whopping $19,530. And
1: seven cents.
0: And seven cents. Uh, And apparently this is super common in every single state because there are these two federal laws that kind of contradict each other. One that... um, instructs child welfare agencies to make reuniting families their first priority and the other that is 40 years old on the books that says states should charge parents for the cost of child care And this is a great example of just like, you know, I mean, most of these antiquated laws that stay on the books are are things that are silly and funny to talk about, like spitting in public is illegal or, you know, swearing in the presence of a lady. But this is the kind of antiquated law that absolutely is causing people absurd, uh, damaging problems you know Um, I just can't imagine if you're already struggling to get on your feet this is like the equivalent of like debtor's prison you know or something like that where but also in the first place it wasn't even something that was her fault she found herself in a situation that was desperate she made a desperate move and maybe it was uh, had some poor judgment in terms of like the safety of the type of place where they were staying but also maybe it was the only option that she had and it just seems really cruel to penalize her for that, uh, especially when she's just getting back on her feet. And that's, uh, that's an amount of money that would be difficult for most people to come up with in the, on the fly, let alone if they're compounding it with interest. I mean, I just think this is just uh, unconscionable.
1: Well, we still haven't done our foster home industry episode. We, we talked about this a while back, and, and we received some very personal accounts from a lot of our fellow listeners and of course want to thank everybody who took the time to write in because it had to be harrowing to sort of relive those experiences uh, if you have been in the foster system on any level in any sort of role you are well aware of the problems with the system with the infrastructure of it uh, there are you know there there are people who function as foster parents entirely for the financial aspect and there are really they're really really amazing foster parents who want to make the world a little bit less of a place for a kid and that is commendable uh, that is one of the most amazing things you can do is to be a parent figure for a young human but with this no jasper i don't think a lot of people are talking about this because it's it's a crime that, and I will say it's a crime. Like what degree of incompetence or legal oversight do we have to reach? What's the threshold before we say this is criminal? Like these are these are the some of the most disadvantaged people. These parents, right? Like you said, most people don't have twenty grand; they can just pay on demand. Uh, and secondly, these folks are not going to, by and large, have the money to pursue a legal challenge to this. And where where does, my, my question is, where does the money go? Like, if, if this family, because it's a family, it's not just the mom, if this family pays 20 grand, does that go to the foster parents? Does that go to, like, admin fees? Do they ticket master it? Is there, like, a list of, like, all these, Small incidental things.
0: Well, it's also the kind of thing that you would think of almost like in terms of like a, a, a exorbitant hospital bill for someone that doesn't have insurance. Like you can usually negotiate it down. You know, I mean, I don't know if this is like ironclad. If you're getting an itemized list, I mean, it did say in the NPR piece uh, that some of these charges were like their individual charges for anywhere from twenty five dollars to over a thousand dollars a month um, that add up, and the longer that the uh, the kids are in the foster care, the, the the, you know the uh, more that bill adds up,
1: and this is a 1984 bill.
3: Yep that that is correct, Matt. What, how does this hit you, man? Well, first it hits me in in the fields when it comes to the in investigators, the journalists that actually are looking into this and telling this story. Specifically, Joseph Shapiro, uh, Teresa Wiltz, and Jessica Piper. Like, thank you for covering this story and for doing an entire investigation on it. Um. This is the kind of thing that needs to be talked about and what what's really hitting me is what you're you guys are mentioning already here the concept of twenty thousand dollars being charged uh, to a mom who's trying to support her family and do what's right for them, but she's having to make these decisions and I believe She's the person who's saying she was living on $10,000 a year within this piece. Yes. And you know if you imagine charging someone who makes $10,000 a year $20,000, you're not going to get that back anytime soon because of what you need to spend that money on, which is a very small amount of money, $10,000. And you're going to charge twice that to somebody? And how long were they in care, Matt, again? 20 months, so a little less than two years. Oh, I'm. I was wrong, guys. Uh, according to the NPR piece, it was 80 percent of the families that showed up in the data as they were looking into this. At Trish Scofimer, uh 80 percent of the families had incomes of less than ten grand a year. Sure, who were that, being charged this kind of absurdity. That tracks. Uh,
0: but I'm just wondering, like, this is the, this is for the care for three children um, mm-hmm. over the course of. Little over a year, or was it roughly two years
1: it is a little less than two years and so months. what is
0: what does that break down to per month?
1: about a thousand a month if you round up
0: well, okay, just be devil's advocate here, and I still don't think this is right uh, a thousand a month for three kids That ain't that far off from reality you know um being a being a dad you know, just I'm just saying like yeah, and, and and where is that money supposed to come from? You know, I, I think there should obviously be a deal worked out in some way. You know, but it's like she's also obviously also during this time is she able to work? She she is probably able to work, but still, yeah, that's wild. Um, it's 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 a tough it's a tough position.
3: You try and charge a you know a family a mom a dad whoever makes that little money try and charge them that much money you're not going to get it back. At least anytime soon. So I don't understand how this could at all be a profitable thing for the state or, you know, for a, whoever is actually what agency is getting money paid back. They must you know, have to know, put them on payment
0: out. plans like they do with the exorbitant hospital bill, too. I mean, they have to garnishing
1: wages. Wow, well, that would be that would be uh, the number one way to do it. Well, let me say this. Let me point this out. Uh, so if someone these are these are federal law, but there are also state level regulations, policies and laws. If someone is in the foster care system, it should not be a for profit system. And this is, please, folks, please do not mistake us as somehow quote unquote defending deadbeat parents. That's not what we're doing at all. But what I'm pointing out here is that if you are listening to this, you are in the United States, you are already paying to help these people. In theory, the system of taxation means that we're all sort of in a club, right? And we pay our dues, and when we all pay our dues, I don't think that's ever happened, but if we all pay our dues in theory, then we are creating an infrastructure to address these sorts of problems. The goal is not to punish people right that it shouldn't be the goal the goal is to help these kids have a decent shot at a good life that is why civilizations exist uh the I, like i know it's probably it was probably great for the Reagan administration right to, to it was probably great for optics and votes to say hey make these bad parents pay their fair share but i guarantee you Ronald Reagan did not personally meet every parent who had to have their kid in the foster system. Didn't know what he was talking about.
0: Wasn't that also in the era of like this kind of perceived like the welfare queen and all of that yes, garbage so. that was created yeah. like as a absolute dog whistle <laughs> racist uh you know tactic uh, in my opinion, I think in many people's
3: opinions.
1: Well, I get the I get the idea, you know. I I understand the idea that People should be personally and fiscally responsible. I get it. I'm also establishing that the goal is, the goal should maybe not be to punish people, however their life may have played out or however it's played out. The goal should be to help people. And the idea that you would find someone at the most vulnerable point in their lives and say, If you want to see your kids give us 20 grand is unconscionable. It's, it's very strange. It's, it's at the, like, regardless of political opinions, it's very much a flaw in a system. Like, like Matt, like you were saying, $10,000 a year. So that's two years worth of someone's entire livelihood. Instead of taking $20,000, what about giving twenty thousand dollars to the kids as like a trust fund thing or to help them help help them uh, be able to enter college without falling into the debt trap of student loans
3: yeah it is crazy you pay for an apartment like for a couple of months so that there is a safe place for those kids to be and you know this this kind of thing wouldn't happen in the first place but you know instead you're gonna garnish their wages and you know they'll even take away your licenses. They'll take your driver's license away. What do you think that does to the ability of someone who doesn't make much money to be able to make any money?
0: Well, it's, it's a vicious cycle. I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but like I've been to jail all of one time. Uh, it was for an unpaid... Um speeding ticket or something that I got in an area where it was kind of in the middle of nowhere and you had to mail in your payment. They didn't have computer um, uh, option. Uh, and so I got into a little fender bender and my ticket had not shown up as paid. So my license had a, uh, suspended uh, and I had some kind of bench warrant. So I got, I got taken to jail. And there was this dude in, in the cell that I was in who'd been there for a week. Because he had, because he, he, you know why he got in there? He got in there for failure to pay child support. And what happens when you go to, when you go to jail for a week? You lose your job.
1: <laughs> and makes it where you can't pay child support <laughs> or get out of jail. Well, people who have not been involved with uh, the U.S.'s incarceration system may be unfamiliar with this adage. But it's often said, and it's unfortunately true in this country, uh, jail. Easy to get in. Hard as hell to get out. It's true because it's not a um it's it's not a rehabilitative program, right? And uh this this is part of a bigger problem. We had actually behind the scenes we've been working on uh a week. You're gonna have a very depressing week with us in the future, folks, where we talk about the incarceration system. I saw Matt's I'm, Matt. I saw your blink there. I remember this too. Yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a downer, but it, it is important at this point. You know, um, again, it's tough to navigate because the people who are getting harmed the most by this are the children, but they're being harmed in a way that will ultimately harm society. You know what I mean? Like every, of course, nobody likes paying taxes, which is why the very wealthy get away with not paying taxes. But those taxes go to something. There is a reason. It's, the cons, I don't know why it's a hot take to say that if you have the power of 300 20 million plus honestly smart people i don't know why it's a hot take to say that this society could do better you know what i mean like why to $20,000 that's the price they're putting on on the future of a kid on the future of these three kids and their families and that just seems like something future historians will think is so ridiculous could these kids have had a good life well yeah they could have but humans were very into this coupon system we had at the time, <laughs> and and we needed we needed to exchange the coupons. Oh my god! I said I was gonna be positive while we were recording. Sorry, guys.
0: Well, it's a little tough. Uh, you're right, and I mean, like, I don't know where that tax money goes. I mean, I know where it goes in theory, but I've been about it before on the show. It certainly doesn't go to fixing roads in my neighborhood <laughs> and like literally anything functional that I can benefit from in my day to day. Maybe that's. Overstating the case a little bit, but I sure would love for it to go to helping people out that actually need help. So, hot take or no, I think we're on the same page about that. Um, so, let's turn the page to a, an ad break, and then we'll come back with one last piece of mail from you.
4: L A S I K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK, but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com/slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start.
1: L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
3: With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name
0: the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop.
1: to talk to an expert snagajob.com where america goes to hire
4: today i'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids how about instead of timeouts time ins? time for you to start paying some bills i'm jb smooth and that was a full episode of my new podcast straightforward inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from at&t fiber Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber. Live like a beginner now. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details.
1: and we have returned we have not returned unaccompanied we're we're going to have a a deep conversation about foster care and the industry as it stands we would love your help and your input so don't forget to hit us up Uh, we'll tell you how to reach us at the end of the show but right now we have to welcome our final guest on today's Listener Mail, and that is Steve. Steve, you asked a question that I have, uh, I think Matt, Noel, Doc, I don't know about you, but definitely me. I think we've all asked this question at some point, just to give you some context without spoiling it. This is one of those phrases you hear thrown around all the time in mainstream news with economic or political pundits who are talking in very authoritative-seeming terms. Here is what Steve wrote. National debt, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. That's four question marks for everybody keeping count at home. Uh, Steve, here's what he said. So just listen to PetroDollars101. Great taste, Steve. I think that episode holds up. Uh, Steve says, when you guys brought up what would happen when the world decided that America wasn't the superpower anymore and stopped using the U.S. dollar as the current currency, it got me thinking about our national debt. How the F do we even owe and how would we default to? uh, Or who would we default to? Is it as made up as currency value?" Maybe you guys covered it and I can't find it. I don't watch the old YouTube stuff. Oh, you're in for a treat, Steve. Uh, But I listen all the time to the podcast. So if you did already cover national debt, true or false, could you point me in the right direction? Love the show. You guys help me feel sane when surrounded by my family. The national debt is one of those phrases like, oh, the economy. Oh, the national debt. Uh, Whichever political party is in power uh, will have incredibly convenient opinions on the national debt. Uh, You know, we'll we'll have, uh, like, usually here in the U.S., uh, the national debt is kind of a football that people pass around to lend credence to their current goals or arguments, So like anytime there is a Democratic president, you're going to see a lot of uh, Republican representatives in Congress saying that the debt is the number one thing and sort of holding the financial future of the country hostage to get what they want. And this is not a hit piece on the Republican side because the Democratic Party does the same thing. And they will continue to do so because this is a functionally a two-party system, right? So I wanted to open this up to you guys first before we explore this national debt. Have you, have you ever had the same question that Steve had? Like, what, who, who do we owe
3: money to? I feel like we've talked about this before, but I, I think it's one of those topics that I put out of my mind because it, it's almost like it was so made up that I didn't need to keep it in. But I'm hanging out over on usdebtclock.org because I remember going here before, where it's just counting up everything. And right now, our national debt stands at twenty-nine trillion, three hundred and seventy-seven billion, eight hundred and sixty-eight million, and no, eight hundred sixty-nine million. There we go.
1: Oh, let's divide that by person. So, uh, let's see the population. <laughs> let's just no. Let's 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 make it hit home. This will be per capita. Film.
3: I'll tell you, per per capita, it's eighty eight thousand, a little over eighty eight thousand per taxpayer. It's two hundred and thirty two thousand.
1: Okay. Okay. I got you, but. Let's just call it 88 grand because that'll be hilarious for uh, all of our fellow conspiracy realists who don't live in the US. We're all almost 90 grand in the hole just for hanging out in our weird club. And uh, it's nuts because, you know, the idea of debt powers the world, it powers the economy, which is the dominant religion of this age. Uh, Shout out to our earlier episode Is Economy a Religion? Spoiler, it is. Uh, so when we when we think about debt, we often think about it in a personal level, right? I owe Matt twenty dollars. Or like Noel says, I gotta pay the, you know, the electricity bill or something. Sure. National, yeah, national debt is not like that. It is not like student loans, it's not like credit card debt. And it might surprise you, Steve. To learn that there are answers to some of these questions, the debt clock Matt brought up, I think is an excellent resource, but I also like to just pull on our house of works DNA real quick and and do a let 's call it like explain like i 'm five national debt, right so it sounds weird when you hear the news, when you hear some pundit saying like, "Oh the trade deficit or the u s is so in debt, and you think like, to whom?" The country with the world's most powerful military, the country that on its own could destroy the planet, is stressing about money, right? It seems counterintuitive, uh, but here's what's going on. The U.S. national debt, the majority of it, is technically owed to the public, to the citizenry of the U.S. This is where things like bonds come in. You'll buy a bond or you'll buy a security, and it's backed by the United States government. So you're essentially you're entering a contract where you say, "Okay, I'm going to give you some money, Uncle Sam," and Uncle Sam says, "I'm good for it. I I gave you the money back, plus a little bit of, you know, a little bit of a cherry on top to to make it worth your time. It's just going to take me ten to thirty years because." (laughs) Because, you know, that's how large organizations work. Any freelancer in the audience knows what a nightmare invoices can be sometimes. And it seems like the bigger an organization, uh, the more lax they are on paying on time. But anyway, you get this. So you buy this bond and the, the government debt then is kind of like, it's not quite the same thing, but it's kind of like a, um, it's almost like a stock, right? You, you are getting dividends. The interest rates for those bonds are pretty low. We're talking like three mm, percent or so. And the question is, why would you do this? Inflation goes up at a predictable rate over time, right? So why would you why would you buy this kind of bond? Why why would you say, okay, America, give me an IOU? It's because you are guaranteed to get that interest. It's a smaller rate of interest, but it's actual money instead of potential profit. And the U.S. government has, in their defense, always paid up with this stuff. So it's consistent, it's predictable, it's a safe place, right, even if it's not the most profitable. So most of this stuff, being called national debt, is owed to the U.S. public, but a lot of it is owed to other branches of the U.S. government. And yes, some, uh, a big portion of it is owed to other countries. The thing is, going back to our example of like me owing Matt $20 or Noel needing to pay the electricity bill, we don't get to print our own money other than bin bucks, which are still, you know, kind of the uh, newer Bitcoin. I would say, uh, the U.S. when it owes money can print money. It can it can put its finger on the scale through things like quantitative easing and so on. So you'll you'll hear a lot. The reason this stuff sounds so abstract sometimes and so weird is because it is abstract, ultimately, right? Like there's you're never going to hear a politician say something like, um, "We have to bend the knee to Goldman Sachs," right? You're not going to hear that because it's bad optics. But if you look back historically, uh, in things like uh, the Lincoln administration during the Civil War, the guy was in the trenches fighting with private banks over interest rates. Like the like national debt is is a real thing, but you need to think of it more like a stock. It's a consistently uh, it, it's a consistently paying out investment. And you'll even hear the argument that having debt is healthy because it keeps the whole Ponzi scheme of capitalism running for now.
3: Well, you're welcome <laughs> for Good having lots of debt. <laughs> right.
1: And the U.S. is paying this back also constantly, on, like on the same scale. You know, uh, a few years back, uh, I think we were all surprised to learn that Germany had, Finally paid off its fines for World War II, which was nuts. Uh, but this this does happen. The main thing you have to remember is that national debt is not the same as your personal debt. It also is a debt owed by an organization that can literally create money if it wants to, which calls into question, you know the. Uh, <laughs> Calls into question the credibility of the whole house of cards or house of dollars. And then secondly, we need to remember that this is highly politicized. There's a lot of political theater behind this. It's, It's such a convenient boogeyman to raise. We know, we have clearly established, people much more intelligent than us have clearly established, the economy is not the people. Right? That's why you can have the world's largest economy in the same country with the highest incarceration rates. That's why you can have people illiterate, you can have people starving, you can have people dying from preventable disease, easily preventable disease, while Wall Street is doing gangbusters in the fourth quarter or whatever. I sorry. Thank you for letting me Ted talk. I mean, even Even Scully is back there like rolling her eyes. Sorry, guys.
3: Well, hey, I found something through the story that's related back to one of my predictions. Uh, Ben, uh, within the USDebtClock.org system, you can find U.S. home pricing and sales. And they've got a handy little thing here that gives you new home median sale price. And it shows it to you from 2006 until 2021. And... If you look back, you can see the the housing crisis that occurred, you know, two thousand eight, two thousand thirteen, throughout there, and you can see how there is a ridiculous jump from a new home median sale price in the year twenty twenty of two hundred and eighty eight thousand dollars to in two thousand twenty one four hundred and twenty seven thousand dollars. The the me the median sale price of a house jumped up that much in one year's time, and uh, it just shows you that there's a bubble, boys. The whole thing, the <laughs> house of cards you're mentioning, it's just waiting to go up, up, up. There you wow. go. Okay,
0: okay. You guys should be uh, those like uh, sound effects men, you know, like for the old timey radio plays.
1: Do the Foley work? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. This, I think, is an episode in the making. The the national debt is something that you hear talked about often in the U.S., especially during times of political change. Uh, But you also hear it in many, many other countries because of the international banking system, because of the whole practice of the capital E economy. But our big takeaway, Steve, for you before we call it a day is this. If you're looking for a big bad enemy that the U.S. owes tons and tons of money to, it is the U.S. public. They are the the main folks that Uncle Sam needs to to pay up. And uh, there are also, of course, foreign investors. There are foreign governments. People are trading debt back and forth through their treasuries. Investing in U.S. treasuries is a deliberate strategy for foreign powers, including places like Russia and China. And the reason this is, I don't want to get too in the weeds, but the reason this works so well is because if you are are a country, right, and you have your own currency, then one of the things you're really concerned about is how, how valuable your currency is relative to other currencies. Like, make no mistake, there are people in corporations that you would never associate with this. Like there uh, I, I would not be surprised if there's someone who works at Coca-Cola and their entire job is to just like move money around in the currency market, right? Is is the Yuan gonna uh improve over the dollar or the British pound or the euro? Let's try to move that around and make a percentage. Countries don't always want their money to be the most quote-unquote expensive money. It actually can help them, uh, especially if they're a country without the uh, devil's deal of the petrodollar like the US has. Uh, A weaker currency can help a country. It's, It's deeper than a light bill, folks. It's crazy, crazy stuff, but Steve, this is a question that has been on my mind as well. I think it's been on all our minds. It's something that we have to do a future episode on. Uh, so thank you, Steve. Thank you, Roscoe. Thank you, Jasper. We are on the case. We're diving into this stuff, and we're diving into 2022. Can you believe we made it? Guys, we just did our first listener mail of the new year. That's true. Yeah. We made it. Yay! made <laughs> Yay! That is fake.
3: <laughs> oh. <laughs> i just um wow well this yeah um that I, is I, I almost... a
1: decoy city in virginia no i'm kidding i'm kidding that is real it is a real thing sorry
3: i wanted to jump into old prospector voice when we were talking about well, some of these listeners that uh wrote to us oh jasper and roscoe writing <laughs> to us with all the information and steve too <laughs> good old steve
0: with coming through with the information
1: Hmm. Uh, and if you want to join us on this merry misadventure, this strange enterprise of a show, uh, we would love to have you on board. If you want to take a page from Roscoe, Jasper, and Steve's book, or or, or their take a take a uh, gold nugget from their claim. Where are we going with the prospector thing? Okay, now that checks out. All right. Well, if you want to talk to us, the point is uh, we can't wait to hear from you. We try to be easy to find online.
0: Oh, boy, are we ever on the Internet? Uh, You can find us in the usual places of note, Facebook, uh, Twitter, YouTube. We exist under the handle at Conspiracy Stuff. You can also find us on Instagram at the handle at Conspiracy Stuff Show.
3: If you want to use your mouth and your phone, you can contact us that way. Ooh, Our I number is one eight three three S T D W Y T K. Wow! <laughs> On the fly? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Get out of my head, dude! All right, that's one one eight three three. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> STDWYTK. That's our number. Give us a call, please. (laughs) You don't have to do it in limerick or whatever the heck that was. Give yourself a cool nickname. You've got three minutes. Tell us whatever you'd like. We'd love to hear from you. Please let us know if we can use your voice and message on one of these Listener Mail episodes. Uh, That's really those are the only rules. Uh, Other than that, no rules. If you don't want to use your phone to contact us with your voice, you can instead put some things into an electronic message and send it via email. We are Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio.